Open up your Bibles, the book of Romans, chapter 12 today. And as you're opening, I'm going to share a story, and I want you to imagine in your mind if you relate at all to this story. I was, one day, sitting and waiting in a drive through at a local restaurant after a very long and, and stressful day uh, before I was going to go home and, and be with family. I'm sitting there and waiting for the food to be able to take home. I've got two things on my mind, and that is no people around and I'm getting food soon. I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, there's a little bit of a moment of you know no issues or concerns or anything going on in life, and I'm feeling that. And I sit there and to the side of me I hear somebody say, oh my gosh, Preston, is that, is that you? I stop and I look over and through the drive through window is a face that I recognize but I don't remember. I recognize the face, but I don't remember where. And I, I do what any reasonable person in that situation would do. Hey! How, how are you doing? And I've been told by many I, I don't really have the best bluffing or poker face at all. And so the person, do, do you not remember me? And I'm... Okay, the jig is up. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't recall. What is your name again? And, and they shared their name, and as soon as they shared their name, it clicked. Oh my gosh, this is a friend I had from high school. A good friend. It was a good friend. It was a friend that I had had and that we'd spent a lot of time together in the performing arts company at my high school in our drama club. We spent a lot of time together. We had a lot of fun. Our, our senses of humor kind of clicked really well. And so we just, just a wonderful friend, had a lot of great memories of, and it, this all came flying back at me as soon as I remember. And so we, we talked, and we had kind of a light conversation, and, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. And hands me my food, and I drive off. Have you ever experienced a situation like that? I recognized them, but I didn't remember them. And as I look at where we are at, in 2021 at Calvary Baptist Church, I would make the suggestion that we are in that exact same place. For a lot of us, we, for all of us, we have over the past year been, been told and been made, given guidelines of we need to spread out. We need to stay away. We need to stay home and to stay safe. And there's very many reasons for that. And that's all that we've been told over the past year, and there's been a lot of COVID and mask wearing and social distancing and guidelines, and that's even here in church and even our viewers online, many of them are staying home and staying safe. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We support that. And at the same time, the guidelines, we've been told a lot of you can't do these things. But over the course of this last year, we have seen, and we even this last week, there are more things, these guidelines are being loosened. People are, the world is becoming a, the pandemic is nearing its end. How long it will last, I'm not going to say. I don't have that knowledge. I don't think anybody has that knowledge. But we're getting towards a, some form of a tail end. Not the tail end of COVID. COVID is here. 
And that's just, that's how that works. But the pandemic portion of it, the lockdowns and the mask wearing and all that sort of stuff, at least this phase of it is moving towards an end. And as that happens, many people are going to feel more safe to return in person. You know, over the past year, we've said a lot that the church is, is not a building, and that even our, that our online viewers are gathered with us. And these are very true things. And as we look at this, where we're at now, people are beginning to regather in person. And as we may look and see, it might, we, we find ourselves in the same position that I found myself in that drive-thru. I recognize you, but I don't fully remember you. And so how do we, as the church of Jesus Christ, navigate the situation? How do we navigate this well that, that is able to welcome back the people that are returning and you allow us to kind of hit the ground running, moving forward. I would make the suggestion that we need to come back together so that we can go back out. I'll say that again. We need to come back together so that we can go back out. And I find that in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Are you there yet? Allow me to read this passage, and then after we read the passage, we're going to take a step back and determine some context, because I think context to this passage will make this, make this easier for us to understand. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot to go through there. So I want us, before we to jump into the nitty-gritty of this passage, I want us to take a step back and look at the book of Romans as a whole. Because the book of Romans is telling one complete message, and it is written to a specific people in a specific time for a specific purpose. And I want us to ask the question, why did the writer of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, why did Paul even write the book of Romans in the first place? Why did Paul write the book of Romans in the first place? To answer this question, we've got to do a little bit of a deep dive, but I think that it's important. And so as we look at the early history of the spread of the church, the church began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, where Jesus had ascended into heaven and his disciples had received the Holy Spirit 
And Peter got up and, and preached and shared the message of the gospel to a crowd of thousands. The message of the gospel that Jesus Christ alone is the one who can save us from our sins and get us into a right relationship with God the Father. Peter preaches a sermon. Thousands of people come to know Christ. And of these thousands, they are from all over the world. All over the known world. There's people from Arabia. There's people from um, the Persian areas. There's people from Africa. There's people from Europe. And of those people, there's people from Rome. The Christians stay gathered in Jerusalem for, for a little bit, and then when, once persecution happens, persecution is when people um, attack a religious group. And in this case, attacking Christians, they, 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 they fan out. They go back home, many of them. And we can make the assumption that many of these Christians come back to Rome. Because when we catch up with the Roman church in Acts chapter 28, and Paul goes there. Paul had never gone to the Roman church until Acts chapter 28. And by that time, the Roman church had already formed. So somebody else went back to Rome, formed a church, and began worshiping God, preaching the message of Jesus, and sharing their faith with the people around them. Another conclusion we can make is a majority of those Christians that started the church were Jewish Christians. These were Christians that had believed in the Torah and the Mosaic law of the Old Testament and believed that Jesus Christ was their Messiah who came back, who was foretold by the prophets, who came and who was the one that was their Messiah, and he died for their sins. They took this message back to Rome. They started church. They preached the gospel, and as a result, people got saved. And a majority, and a lot of these people who were saved were these people called Gentiles. If you're unaware of what a Gentile is, a Gentile is basically anybody who is not a Jew. If you do not have any Jewish blood in you, congratulations, you're a Gentile. But the Gentiles and the Jews were coming together in this church and believing in the same Jesus Christ as their, as their God. And life was going well. That is until A.D. 49. The church has been formed for a few years now. It's kind of moving and growing and, and, and making disciples. But in A.D. 49, there is a Roman emperor by the name of Claudius, who decides to expel the Jews from Rome. This emperor was not a fan of the Jews. They were causing all sorts of troubles, and so he decided to just say, they're getting out of here. We don't need them here. All the Jews get kicked out of Rome in A.D. 49, which, by the way, this is not only um, val val validified, in historical records, but it's also even talked about in the Bible. Acts chapter 18, verse 2, a verse you can go to later, mentions the expulsion of the Jews from the city of Rome. So the Jews are gone, but the Gentile Christians are still there. They're there for several years. They, they build up the church. They may make church look a little different. They may do church a little differently than their Jewish brothers and sisters might have, but they were doing church. They were making disciples. They were growing it. They were doing their own thing. The expulsion of the Jews lasted 
until AD 54 with the death of Emperor Claudius. And from that point, Jewish people returned to Rome. Jewish Christians returned to Rome. And of these Jewish Christians, not only did they come back, but they came back to a very different-looking church than when they left. You can imagine them coming back and saying, what are you doing? This isn't church. What are you doing here? Why did you switch this? Why did you change this? We had this perfect idea over here, but you changed it. And the Gentile Christians looking at the Jews, we have, some of us haven't seen each other for over a year. These people hadn't seen each other for five plus years. Five years. And then they come back and they recognize each other, but they don't remember each other. Do you see the connection that I'm making between the Roman church back then and our church today? Do you see the connection there? Is that in a lot of ways we're experiencing very similar problems that this church experienced. We're experiencing very similar dynamics that this church experienced. And what happened to this church? Division. Strife. Anger. Questions of, are you even saved? It was such a big deal that Paul thought, I need to talk with these guys. I need to share with them what the gospel actually is and how they are united together. That's why so much of the book of Romans is focused not just on salvation, but on Jew and Gentile relationships. How together, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are one. Because of the power of God. And you see that in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. That's a lot of the doctrine and the theology and the really, the really intense stuff. The good, it's, it's, it's meat, it's wonderful, it's good stuff. Starting in chapter 12, after Paul lays out his theology, he goes from chapter 12 on and talks about application. Here's what I told you. Here's what you're supposed to do. And if you look throughout 12 through 16, a lot of the application is based around interpersonal relationships within the church. That's the point. And we see that even in this passage. In Romans chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, I'm going to cut those, those verses in half. I'm going to cut that section in half. And we're going to talk about two different sections of these passages. And we're going to start in verses 15 through 18. Let me read those for you once again. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I picked this passage and started in verse 15, because there's, there's something about that verse, but I love Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It's one of my favorite verses. It speaks to me in a specific way, because it, it gives us the opposite extremes of the Christian emotional journey, right? 
It talks first about rejoicing, and we have much to rejoice about. We have so much to rejoice about. We have so many ways that God has blessed us and protected us throughout this season. And we have so many opportunities to be able to welcome back people as they return and they regather physically. And I can imagine the excitement that they're feeling. The joy that they must feel to say, we're back. Finally. It's been a long time coming. But at the same time, while Paul says rejoice, he also says weep with those who weep. There has been so much to weep about within the past year. So much that you're tired of hearing it. And many people returning will be celebrating and they'll be happy and they will, they will, they will say, finally we're back, but at the same time, it's going to feel a little bit weird for them. I haven't been here in a year. And there, there's been so much that has happened so confused by all this different stuff. There's so many different answers, questions. And for some, there's lost loved ones. Unexpected lost loved ones. Weep with those who weep. And I think many different times, we as the church, we like to do the rejoicing part. The rejoicing part is easier. And I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that will say, it's okay, it's going to be great. Optimism, glass half full. It's going to be great. Let's worship God together. Let's be happy together. Let's study God's word together. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. It's my natural go-to. But we as the church can get so focused on the rejoicing and the being happy that we forget about the pain and suffering in people's lives. And it can many different times look like we try to cover over the grief and the mourning with our rejoicing. This last weekend, I took a trip to Chicago. I took a trip to Chicago because I was celebrating my fiance's college graduation. She has worked very, very, very hard over the last four years to accomplish this. And we made it to the graduation. We made it there on Thursday morning. Woke up bright and early. We made it there Thursday morning, and the whole graduation ceremony was recognizing the accomplishments of the graduates. It was recognizing it, and it was thanking God for the strength that he gave to the graduates and to the students to be able to accomplish this wonderful feat. And there was rejoicing, and there was praising, and there was happiness, and there was hugs, and there was, there was all sorts of wonderful times worthy of rejoicing. And at the same time, there were so many reasons worthy of weeping. I mean, even in Kezi and I's case alone, Kezi was not able to get a full four years of college like she thought she would get unmet expectation. Kezi wasn't able to have her parents be with her in graduation. They, they stayed home because of her mother as she's been battling cancer. Unmet expectations. 
She had expectations of having more help with, with wedding stuff and with, with different things going on in life and with more of a peaceful situation around her graduation and her wedding. And that's not the case. Unmet expectations. And as I said, I'm so much of an optimistic, glass-half-full kind of person that I'm like, it's okay, just forget about all that stuff. Does that go well over well? It doesn't. Especially since so much of our conversations have been around the difficulties in life. Yes, we've had times to rejoice. Yes, we've had times to be grateful and to praise God. But at the same time, there's been so much difficulty. And if I just tried to throw away the difficulty and say, just be happy that you're back. Just be happy you have your degree. Just be happy. I'm not speaking to her struggles. And as a result, in some ways, there becomes a very natural separation between the two of us. Many of you folks who may be married, you know this. Even those of you who are not married with friends or friendships or siblings, you know this. So why do we assume it's any different for the body of Christ? Why do we make that jump? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Also, no, this is just the first verse. Let me continue. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That verse very well summarizes the majority of the points that Paul is trying to make in this passage. Living in harmony. Do not be haughty. Haughty is another word for prideful or arrogant or I've got this figured out. Do not be haughty. Do not assume you have this figured out. And then Paul hits us in some ways right where it hurts. Never be wise in your own sight. Throughout this last year, we've been given a situation that has required us to form our own opinions or ways in which we're going to interact with the situation. COVID, pandemic, social distancing, mask wearing, church going, all that sort of stuff. And I've heard so many people, and myself included, say, well, this is where I fall. This is where I think is the best way to go. And you have your extremes on opposite sides. And this is not, gonna be, this is not me going to say, here's what you should believe about that. Because that's literally me saying, I'm wise, I got this figured out. But how many of us have come down to a point where we say, this is what we need to do. Those guys, they've got it kind of messed up a little bit. Those guys, they're a little messed up in that area. But this is right. How many of us assume we've got this right? In so many ways, we've all done this. In so many ways, we have all considered ourselves wise. And this isn't to say that you can't look at the situation around you and form your own opinion. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't 
ever believe in or fall on a certain point within a situation. But what I am saying is the second you think you've got it figured out, you're wrong. None of us have this figured out. Some of us, figuring it out means coming into church and being physically regathered. And that's good. For some of us, that means being online, staying connected more from a virtual lens, or being connected with a small group of folks at Calvary. And that's good. Neither of these are wrong. And the second we have the thought that one of these are wrong is the second we are considering ourselves wise. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Think of that phrase. Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. In what ways has this last year made it difficult to live peaceably with all? So many. And there are many people, I would make the suggestion, there are many people both in this room and watching online who because of the difficult circumstances given to us in this past year are struggling right now to live peaceably with all. We may look like it. We're all sitting here and listening and worshiping the same God and, 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 and reading from the same Bible. But I'm not talking about that. I'm, look at your own thoughts. Look at the things you think, specifically about other people. Do you feel anger towards those that you don't agree with? Do you feel hated by those who disagree with you? Do you feel like you had a relationship before, but because of the things you've learned about what other people might believe is right to do over this past year, has that made it difficult for you to think of that person the same way? If it has, you have a job to do. So far as it depends on you. Guys, Living in this community, dealing with these issues, is not going to happen naturally. It will take intentionality, it will take diligence, it will require difficult conversations. And for some, it might even be coming to another believer and saying, I don't know how you got here with this. Help me to understand. How do you believe that the world is working in this way? Help me to understand what you mean by that. For some, it might even mean not just conversations, but confrontations. And saying, there was something that you had said that hurt me. And it's made it difficult for me to live peaceably with you. Can we talk about this? These are the ways to approach this. And this is the difficult steps that this verse requires of us to, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. If you look, if you look at people around you, or if you look at people on, in our church, or even if you look at people on Facebook, 
And there are thoughts in your mind that are stopping you from living peaceably with all, that person included. You need to have a conversation with them. You need to get that right. This is too important to just say, I'm able to sit in the same room with them and I don't talk to them. That's good enough. This is too important for that. And that might even be you on the receiving end. As somebody comes to you and says, help me to understand. And then now, it falls upon you. How can you live peaceably with that person and find a way to understand each other and to love each other and to live in this unity that God has given us through the church? So far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And at the same time, This passage, this, this passage that we're going through is split in two. And these verses that we've just gone over are verses that are focused on us in the body of Christ. It's focused on the in. It's focused on the church itself. And the next few verses are focused on out there. They're focused on outside these doors. They're focused on reaching out to the community. The first part was coming back together. This part now is going back out. And that's found in verses 19 through 21. Allow me to read those to you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, there's that natural split here in this passage. The first part was focused on us in here. And the second part is focused on them out there. Them being people in our community that need the gospel that we believe in. And Paul starts out in verse, 15, verse 18, or no, verse 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Does anybody in here want to avenge anything this morning? Have you at some point over this past year either heard somebody say something about you, heard somebody say something about Christians, heard somebody say or do something that has given you a desire for vengeance, a desire to make that right, to correct their wrongs. Have you had that this past year? That could be an individual. That could be a family. That could be a church. That could be a government. And there's been so much talk, and this has bro broken my heart, that there's been so much talk of vengeance towards those that have wronged us. Vengeance, taking stuff back. 
And yet Paul here is saying that is not the response. That's not what we're called to do. Leave that to God. You have no purpose in avenging anything. Leave that to God. Part of that is actions. Part of that's a thought life. Watching your thoughts. Your thoughts are so important. But instead, Paul gives us a contrary. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Think of that illustration, heaping burning coals on somebody's head. When we respond to evil given to us with a radical love and care for people, even fulfilling their most basic of needs, such as food and water. It's the same as, as, as Paul describes heaping burning coals on their head, showing them, showing somebody that though they may treat you ill, you treat them with love. And they have no place to do that evil to you. If somebody has done evil to you this past year, Feed them. If a government has done something you disagree with, give them something to drink. Love them. Vengeance isn't yours. It's for the Lord. And he ends in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. It's a good summary statement over the past couple verses because it's, 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 it's showing us that when we bring this radical love and compassion to a world that may be against us, that there is evil present in the world. And that's a true fact. There is evil present in this world. Have you seen the news? There is. And it's okay to be aware of that, but do not be overcome by this. Instead, overcome evil with good. That is an action. You are to overcome evil with good. The evil you see in your life, the evil you see in your thoughts, the evil you see in this world, overcome it with good. Care for people. Share with them the love of Jesus Christ. Because as we come back together, we have a community around us, literally, even a neighborhood around us that needs the gospel, that needs the peace that you feel. Because you may have a relationship with the Father. You may know that you have the best thing that you could ever get. And there is a world right now that's confused, that's hurting, that is divided, that is angry. And it's easy to respond with it in suit. But the harder thing is to respond in love and to overcome the evil with good. A lot of that involves being in community. A lot of that involves spending time 
with God and prayer and with people and struggling alongside them. They see how it comes back is that one of the best ways to overcome evil with good is to be in community. Is to have others to help you, to build you up. We need to come back together so that we can go back out. As I shared earlier in the sermon, I shared the story of the drive-through and the person I didn't recognize. And with that, and when I when I came back home from college, there was a lot of people, even a lot of people in this room that I recognized, but I didn't really remember. A lot of faces might come up to me and say, Hi, how are you? Hi, hi, oh my gosh, it's been forever since we've seen you. And that's all wonderful. That's great. I love that. And it would have been very easy for me to just take that at quite literally face value and not get to know some people, not get to grow in this community. But as I stepped away from one community, I entered into a new community. And there's many people in this room that at once I only recognized, now I remember. And there's so much beauty in that. There's so much care in that. There's so much love in that. And that's exactly how God wants us to be in community. It takes work. It takes diligence. It takes being bold. It takes being brave. It takes trusting in God. But it's so, so worth it. Because we need each other. We're not going to do it alone. We need to come back together so that we can go back out. And with the strength we get from community, we can take that strength and that love into another community around us and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son into this world to die for your sins and for mine. And if you believe that truth and repent of your sins, confess your sins, turn away from your sins and put God the center of your life, and believe in Him, then you would be a part of this community too. That's the purpose. So that in the end, our community can be one that glorifies God and that God is honored by forever and ever. Amen.